Well, let's study the Bible. So, class, open your textbooks to Ephesians chapter 5. As we look at the verses that we've already read aloud. The key word in this passage is the word light. About 200 years ago, there was a man that was fascinated by light. He noticed that light can produce a shadow if there's something intervening. And he noticed light can produce a reflection in a body of water or a rainbow in the sky. And so he began to do different things with light. And he told his friends that he can write with light. And they laughed at him. You can't write with light. It's not a pencil or a pen. It doesn't have ink. And he said, I'm going to make a device that can write with light. And he set it out. And so what he did was he got a box and put a hole at each end, an unusual piece of glass at the front, and it could be covered up. And he found out if you aimed it at someone that was standing in the sunlight, and he looked through the back hole and put a certain kind of piece of paper in there that is treated with a certain chemical, the light would write on the paper and produce the image of that person. And he showed it to people, and they said, well, this is magic. This is, what do you call this thing? And he said, well, it's, uh, and he thought, well, the Greek word for light is phos, and the Greek word for writing is graphe. How about phosgraphe? We would call it photography, light writing. There are a lot of interesting things with light. It's everywhere. We usually get it from the sun, sunlight, but also the billions and billions of stars are like points of light, like the sun. The sun is reflected off the moon. Some call that moonshine. It doesn't produce the light, it reflects it. And then here on planet Earth, there are lightning bugs, glow worms. Fire produces light, lamps. But what is light? Best short definition I heard was from a physicist that said, well, we know something about it, and so we call it concentrated pure energy. Looked it up in a dictionary. One definition of light is electromagnetic radiation of any wavelength that travels in a vacuum with a speed of about 186,282 miles per second. That's pretty fast. Notice he said about that. Light. It has unusual qualities that are still being discovered and used, like laser, laser surgery. Then there's the northern lights in the northern hemisphere, color, and other things. I've always been fascinated by light. When I was a teenager, before I became a Christian at age 20, me and a friend named Leo, we used to play around with light projectors and all sorts of things. We'd do light shows at parties, dances, concerts. I even did one in my art class. And we'd do interesting things with light. You could color it with a color wheel or different filters. You can polarize it. Put mirrors in there and make a kaleidoscope. You put a prism out there. You can make a rainbow. Then there were strobe lights that are flashing very fast. All sorts of things you could do with light that were fascinating. But what we did was very primitive compared to what those light shows are today at concerts. But I gave that up when I became a Christian. The Bible talks about light. Genesis chapter 1, 
It says in the very first verse, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the whole earth. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was light even before the creation of the sun and the stars. There was this created light. Why did God create light? Well, it produces energy. Life needs light. There's life and light together. But perhaps the main reason is that God created light to be a symbol or a type of him. Because 1 John 1, 5 says God is light. There is created light, but there is also uncreated light. The uncreated light of God's glory and his love and his holiness. And we don't see that. We see it indirectly reflected in creation, but we cannot see the uncreated light of God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6.16, God dwells in inapproachable light, that no man has seen or can see. Bible says nobody can see God and live. So as it were, he shields it for our protection, this uncreated light of his glory. You see, when I used to do light shows, there was something called black light. It, it kind of makes things glow. But my buddy Leo bought a gizmo once, and he said, now, Kurt, this is pure light. This is white light. You can't look directly at it or it'll burn your retina and he turned that thing on in a dark room and everybody that was dancing stopped and said what is that it was pure white light and laser light is concentrated light but all of that is still created light the uncreated light of God's glory is brighter than all of that and it occasionally appeared in bible days like when Jesus was on the mount of transfiguration it says he began to glow with this supernatural light brighter than the sun in the sky. And it wasn't reflected from Jesus. It was radiated from Jesus because Jesus is God and the Bible says God is light. The ancient Jews gave a certain Hebrew name to this light of glory. They called it the Shekinah. And it appeared here and there in Bible days like in the holiest part of the temple, when the high priest did the sacrifice just right and said the prayer, God displayed the light of his glory and of his love as if to say, I will accept the sacrifice. But the holy light of God comes into this universe in one way. Remember I mentioned a prism. You know what a prism is. It's a little triangular piece of glass. And if white light hits it, it diffracts it into a rainbow. The different colors of the visible rainbow. There are invisible light that we can't see. Different colors. Think about this. Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light. He is the prism of God. Through him, just like a prism diffracts different colors, Jesus shows us all the rainbow of God's attributes. Through him we know about the love of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God. All those are like the colors of God that Jesus brings to us. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness. But then in another place, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Which is it? He is the light or we are the light. That's what we're looking at here in Ephesians, how they're both true. We begin with verse 8. You were once darkness, 
But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Here God reminds them and us what we once were. If we were light, we once were darkness. We weren't born as light. We were born as darkness, which means sin. Just like light means holiness, darkness means sin. Earlier he has said, contrast the new you and the old you, the new Man and the old man, here he changes the metaphor and says you were once darkness. Now you are light. And the point is, never forget what you once were, brethren. Never forget that old life of darkness and of sin. And when you remember that, that should humble you. But be cautioned. Don't repeat those old sins. Now, you can't go back to what you once were, but sometimes we want to dabble in old sins of darkness And God says, no, don't go back, go forward. But it's like, well, it's like driving a car. Every now and then you look in the rearview mirror to see where you've been and if you're going to be followed by somebody else. But you can't go through life looking in the rearview mirror or you're going to crash into something. But it's helpful to occasionally take a glance and remember what you once were. A few weeks ago I quoted the words of John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. He He's a great preacher, and he said, I know I'm not what I should be. I still sin. I'm not what I want to be. And I'm not what I will be in heaven, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And that should be the attitude of a Christian. But it says here, you once were darkness. Non-Christians are still in darkness. They're in darkness. The darkness of sin, they are blind. And of course, if you walk, if you're blind or if you're walking in the dark, you're going to trip and fall. You fall into sin. Turn with me to something Jesus said on this subject in John chapter 3. We'll get back to Ephesians. It's right after John 3, 16, most famous verse in the Bible. And then Jesus says something to the listening audience about himself. Starting in verse 19, this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, that's Jesus, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The point he's making is only two types of people in the world, those that are of the light, those that are of the darkness. Those that are of the light love the light and they hate the darkness of sin. Ah, but those that are still in darkness, they hate the light. They love their darkness. That's what it says here. The heart of fallen mankind is filled with evil and sin and darkness And according to this verse and many other verses, they love darkness, they love sin and hate God, and they hate holiness. That's the condition of their heart. But not a Christian. He loves light. Go back to Ephesians. It says here, we are children of light. It's a Hebrew way of saying we we have the light and we're following it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 says, you are all sons of light. And sons of the day, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. You know, there are certain animals that come out at night, like bats and other such animals. And people have written books and novels about vampires that live in the night and they go back to their coffin when the sun goes down. 
Well, that's kind of a type of unbelievers that live in the darkness and they don't like the light. But we are of the light. But never forget we were once of the darkness. What made the difference? Colossians 1.13 tells us, God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. You could say his kingdom is a kingdom of light. Satan's kingdom is a kingdom of darkness, and Christ has delivered us from that. And consequently, there's this spiritual war going on between those that are of the light and those that are of the darkness. Now, you've all heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. You remember, they were written um, kind of in the time of the New Testament by a cult out in the wilderness. And one of the scrolls is an interesting little book called The War of the Sons of Light and the Sons of Darkness. You hear about spiritual warfare, like in Ephesians 6. It's a matter of light versus darkness. But the light will always defeat the darkness. We learned that in John chapter 1. You turn on the light and the darkness has to flee away. Consequently, the Bible here says, therefore, walk in the light. Walk as children of light. And we've seen that word walk several times in Ephesians. It means a regular way of life that is characterized by internal attitudes and an outside lifestyle. But a walk also means you're going somewhere. You're not just standing still. You've got a destiny and you're making progress. Now, when you're a Christian, the first step in becoming a Christian is you take the step of faith and repentance. You repent of your sins. You turn from that and you turn to follow the Lord Jesus in faith. So it says here, walk therefore as children of light. And the simple logic is this. You are light, therefore live as light, not as darkness. Let me show you another verse or two in the Bible. So again, go back in the New Testament to Matthew chapter 5. Where Jesus said those words are mentioned in the introduction. Jesus is beginning the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 5, verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a lampstand. It gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So how is it that Jesus said he is the light of the world, and he said we are the lights of the world? It works like this. You have the sun in the sky shining, hits the moon, and it reflects it. Did you notice early this morning, if you looked up in the western sky, you still saw the bright full moon about to go down. The moon doesn't produce light, it reflects it. Jesus is the sun in the sky. Notice the pun, S-U-N-S-O-N. He radiates light, and when it reflects off of us, we are like mirrors, lights in the world in that sense. So we're called upon to reflect the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone put a message outside of a church on the sign that said, God reigns and the sun shines. Now, remember I mentioned the illustration of that little box with the mirrors and stuff, the photography box? It's called a camera, and it produces an image when light is shined on a certain subject. 
We are being conformed to the image of Christ, the Bible says. The light of God's glory comes from Jesus, and when it hits us and transforms us, people say we begin to look like Jesus. We're, it says in Romans 8, we're conformed to the image of Jesus. So we're to let this light shine. Did any of you ever learn that little song in Sunday school? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, let's let that light shine because we're in a world filled with darkness that does not like the light. We are to shine the light in our families, in our neighborhood, and at work, and in society. Philippians 2.15 says, You are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Boy, that's a pretty tough description. And it says, Among whom you shine as lights in the world. But we're outnumbered, brethren. And you might be the only light that they have. Let your light shine. And just like moths are drawn to a light, God might draw someone through you to the Lord Jesus. Be available. Let the light shine. Give a good example. And then share the word of God with them. Now we look at verse 9. Kind of a parenthesis. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Elsewhere, more fruit of the Spirit are listed. You know Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But that's only nine. Second Peter 1 mentions even more of these fruits of the Spirit. Now earlier in Ephesians, he had given us a catalog of certain bad things to avoid. Now he gives us a list of good things that we should cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. And we call this a list of vices and a list of virtues. Think about it like this. Where do these come from? It's the fruit of the Spirit. All the goodness and all the virtues come from God. Goodness, love, peace, and so forth. Where do all the vices come from? Not from the Prince of Light, but from the Prince of Darkness, Satan. God has... The virtues to the ultimate degree, Satan has all the vices to the ultimate degree. So we need to follow God and his virtues in us, such as light, and not the devil with his darkness. Verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Now he's going to pick up that later when he says, knowing the will of God, but this is a reflection of what he says over in Romans 12. Uh, consecrate your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord and know what is the perfect, good, and acceptable will of the Lord. As it says here, what is acceptable to the Lord? Look at the word acceptable. This has become popular in the last, I don't know, 20 or so, so years, especially with mothers, with a little child that's misbehaving, that mother says, that's not acceptable behavior. In other words, I'm not accepting that. That's, you need to change that. God looks at us and sees our sins and says, that's not acceptable. I'm not going to take that. You need to change your lifestyle. You need to change your heart. And God alone can do that. Know what is acceptable to God and avoid what is not acceptable. Now, he develops that in the next couple of verses. He says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful. Notice, unfruitful as opposed to the fruit of the Spirit. The unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. 
2 Corinthians 6.14 says, What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And the answer is obvious, none. Some can't be light and darkness at the same time. Some light is brighter than others, but light is not the same as darkness. You have to turn on the light. Have you ever heard the saying, you can't turn on the darkness, you can only turn on the light? Kind of makes you think. So it says there in Corinthians, to have no fellowship with the works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now this does not mean that we go out of the world to avoid all darkness. Now, in one way, we're to avoid places of darkness. We call them dens of iniquity. You don't hear that term much more anymore, like, you know, certain places like bars and other such places. No, stay away from those, but you do have to go to work. You do have to shop at places, so you... Paul is not saying you have to go out of the world and live out in the desert like a medieval monk or hermit. You know, that was once popular, and there's still a little bit of that today. Starting around the year 300, there were certain Catholic monks that, you know, a monk lives in a monastery, a certain priest. And they said, you know, we're still being bombarded by temptation in this town. So some of them said, I'm going to be really holy, and I'm going to go out in the desert. And I'll just eat dirt and a dead animal and I won't eat food. I'll just eat, drink dirty water. And, and they, they, they became what's called a hermit. And they thought this is how you become very holy, leaving the world behind. And then they found out they still brought sin within them. So God is not saying be a hermit and live out in the desert and torture your body. No. What he means is Separation. Separation from sin. The Bible says, come apart and be separate, says the Lord. And one of the definitions of the word holiness is that which is separate. It says in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is holy and undefiled, separate from sinners. Meaning, he didn't partake of their sin. He was, they tried to tempt him, but he never sinned. He was separate. We need to cultivate a sanctified separation to be holy unto the Lord. The Bible says, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Separation. That's always been God's means. Genesis 1, you remember it says the world was dark, and then God said, let there be light. Interesting verse later, it says, and God separated the light and the darkness. He separated them. That's what he does in our lives. We are born darkness and sin. God saves us and he begins the process of separation from sin that we call sanctification. Never completed in this life. It will be in heaven. But we should cultivate that and aim for holiness and sanctification. And that means opposing darkness. Look at the verse again here. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. In other words, don't do it, but rather expose it. Expose it for what it is. Like turning on a bright Klieg light in a dark area, or going into the forest and turning on your headlights in the middle of the night, and you see those animals, and you get the deer with the headlights in its eyes, and other little animals that live in the dark like that. You expose the darkness by turning on the light. And that's what happens when a Christian walks in the light. He'll go to work, and people begin to notice he's different. He or she doesn't laugh at the dirty jokes. They don't steal. They don't lie. They notice something different about you. You are shining the light in a dark way. 
But we need to do more than that. It says expose it, not just by our lifestyle, but by our words. We can oppose it, we can depose it, and expose it by not cooperating with it. We are to show that we're different. Yes, I know there's a way in which when we go to work and we live in the world, we're to be like them because we're still humans. We still work together with them. But we're to be different. You've heard this saying, we're in the world, but not of the world. Don't live like the world. You know, the old timers used to say Christians should shun worldliness. You don't hear that word much anymore because a lot of the world has seeped into Christianity and the churches. God says be separate and don't cooperate, but rather expose them. Look what it says next. Very serious. It says, verse 12, it is shameful even to speak of those things which were done by them in secret. Now, we mentioned that in a previous study. The Bible opposes and exposes certain sins, but even the Holy Bible doesn't go into specific details, nor should we. When you parents teach your children about certain things going on in the world, be very wise is what you say. And even in your prayers and when you talk about certain things, you don't need to go into certain sort of details. Why? That could stir up temptation. So it says it's a shame even to speak of those things that people are doing. And unfortunately, they used to do them in the closet. Now they're even having parades. It's on TV. It's being glorified, but it's a shame. But even the word shame isn't being used anymore. It's like that verse back in Jeremiah. It says they have forgotten how to blush. They know no shame. But we know what shame is like. It produces repentance. Verse 13, all things that are exposed, there's that exposure again, are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Now we're going to concentrate for a few extra minutes on verse 14. Therefore, he says, awake you that sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. There's the word light again. He's quoting from Isaiah 26, 19. But it's very interesting. This resembles Genesis 1 where he says God will give you light. What did God say in Genesis 1? Let there be light. So when God enlightens a sinner, he gives him the light of his word. He opens his eyes. He is enlightened. He sees truth as it really is. And he sees the world as it really is. He is enlightened now. Notice the two metaphors he uses here for those that are In darkness, he says, you that sleep and you are dead. And those have been mentioned earlier. It says asleep, and the Bible uses sleep as a metaphor for death. For example, you remember they came to Jesus one day and they said, your friend Lazarus is dead, come. And Jesus said, well, he's only sleeping. And they said, no, he's not sleeping, he's dead. And then John puts in the explanation, but Jesus was speaking of the sleep of death. You see, when a person is sleeping, he doesn't really respond much, unless maybe you talk in your sleep. But it's almost like a a temporary death. You're not awake to what's going on around you. And then you wake up, and that's comparable to like someone coming out of death, like a resurrection. And so Jesus went and said, I will raise Lazarus, not just from sleep, but from death. So you see, these are similar metaphors. Now let me correct a popular misunderstanding. 
When the Bible says a person sleeps in death, that is not what some people call soul sleep. And that takes different forms. One says that when a Christian dies, his soul is not conscious. It's like he's sleeping, awaiting for the centuries to pass, and then he'll awake on resurrection day and the rapture. But meanwhile, he is unconscious. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that when we die, we immediately awake in heaven. We're wide awake. We're conscious. The other form of this says that, well, when a non-Christian dies, he goes into permanent soul sleep. Now, this is similar to what's called annihilationism. Not theory that the Jehovah's Witnesses and others say is you go to hell and you cease to exist. This other view is promoted by the Seventh-day Adventists. They say, no, you continue to exist, but you're in a permanent state of unconscious sleeping. You're not tormented in hell. You're just kind of there. But the Bible doesn't teach that. Just as a Christian is wide awake the moment he dies, more awake than when he was on earth, that lost sinner, when he goes to hell, he is more wide awake than he was back here on earth. So the Bible uses these two illustrations of sleep and death. Interesting, the Latin word cemetery actually means sleeping place. Think about that. So the point it says here, it says, Awake you that sleep, arise from the dead, Christ will give you light. So he uses three figures of speech. What he is talking about is when God wakes us up from this sleep of sin and the death of sin, when he regenerates us. Preacher, what's regeneration? Well, you know what that's like on a cold January morning and you try to start the car and what does it do? The battery is dead. So what do you do? You go to Joe next door. Joe, can you come out here with your jumper cables? And you give it the juice and you regenerate the battery. And now it works. And zoom, the car turns over. As it were, you put energy or life into it. That's what God does with a lost sinner. We're dead. Can't do anything good. Not a good word, thought, deed. God connects the jumper cables, the Holy Spirit, and he shoots the juice of life into us. And he enlightens us. He gives us life and light. And to use the metaphor of sleeping, it's like waking up from a dream. Or to be more precise, waking up from a nightmare. Yes, sinners enjoy their dream of sin, but it doesn't satisfy. But when a Christian wakes up, he looks back on that and says, it was like a nightmare compared to what am I experiencing now. Dreams, as it were, are kind of like false reality. You think it's real and you wake up and say, that was only a dream. People are walking in their sleep, as it were. Where it says back in chapter 2, they're like zombies, the living dead, enjoying their sin until God changes their heart and they see things as they really are. You know, in recent years, we've heard a lot about the word woke We are the truly woke people, aren't we? Amen. We have woken up. We see things as they really are. As God sees them, not as the world sees them. You see, they see darkness and they say, that's light. We see darkness and say, it's darkness. What does it say in Isaiah? Woe to those that call light darkness and they call darkness light. They're children of the darkness. We're in the light. We see things as they really are. 
We have woken up from the sleep of spiritual death. By the way, look back at uh, verse 8. It says, you are children, you are light in the Lord. And then verse 14, it says, Christ will give you light. What's the point? The light is given to us. It is not generated from within. Because all we have within us is darkness. We cannot generate light any more than darkness can turn on light. It has to be given to us. For example, the two misuses of this. Three or four hundred years ago, there was a movement starting in England, went around Europe, eventually came over to America, called the Enlightenment. And there were these philosophers that said, well, I guess in a general way, we're Christians. They called themselves deists. They said, we don't believe in revelation because we can't really know God. It's reason, logic, and empiricism, and science that matters. We're the enlightened ones. No, they were actually very darkened because they were rejecting the light, and they went back into darkness. And then there's another misunderstanding of this idea of light. They say, that's right, we need light, but God has given a little spark of light. You've heard this. There's a spark of God in all, all of us, and all we got to do is turn on that light. That's why, for example, the Quakers, in their meeting, they don't preach much from the Bible. You know what's the essence of a Quaker meeting? They all sit around and they meditate on the inner light. But that's not God's way. Because the Bible says within us is darkness, not light. So they're deceived to thinking, well, this is the inner light. And of course, there are other misinterpretations of this. Where do we get light? True light from God through Jesus, produced by the Holy Spirit through the word of God. It says in the book of Psalms, the entrance of thy word gives light. So we need to know, are we children of light or children of the darkness? Have we been rescued and delivered from darkness into light? Because there's no in-between. And you can't be in both. You may be a child of light in the world of darkness, but you're no longer a child of darkness. So let me ask you, are you following Christ? Who is the light of the world? And when you follow him, you have the reflected light in you, his life. But if you don't follow Christ... Jesus said, you're following Satan. And he described Satan as what? The prince of darkness. Evil beyond imagination. To walk means to follow. And if we walk in light, we're following Christ. And we're on that road that leads to heaven. And what is heaven described as? A place of light. But in Revelation it says it's not created light because there's no need for the sun anymore. So what's the light in heaven? The Shekinah glory of God's uncreated light everywhere. There are no shadows. In fact, it says elsewhere in the Bible, the sun rises and the shadows flee away. No darkness anywhere in heaven. No need for created light like the sun that we now need. But the light of God's glory is everywhere. The light of his holiness, the light of his love, the light of his glory without any darkness. And that's the road that takes us to heaven, his kingdom of light. If we're following Jesus, the light of the world. But if you're not, you are following the prince of darkness. You are walking in darkness. And where does that road lead? 
The Bible says to eternal hell. How did Jesus describe hell? Outer darkness. So the question I put to you, brethren, which of these are you following? The light of the world, the prince of darkness. How can I know? Do you love the light? Do you love Jesus who is the light of the world? Do you love holiness and do you hate sin? Or do you look in your heart and say, I really don't love Jesus. I really don't love light. I really do love sin. And that's tangible evidence you're following the one Jesus called your father, the devil, the prince of darkness. You need to get out of his family and get in the family of the Lord Jesus. Or in military terms, you need to defect from that army and pledge allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Shall we pray? Father, thank you that Jesus is the light of the world. He enlightens us. He gives us life. He wakes us up from the sleep of spiritual death. And what's more, he helps us to follow him as lights in this world. Thank you for the Lord Jesus, the light of the world. In his name we pray. Amen.